Hi listeners, uh, it's Alex here. So this week we're going to be doing something uh, a little bit different. We're going to basically do a recap of uh, Canada's response to Israel's killing of Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Ekla. This is a topic that I've been following quite closely over the past few months since it happened back in May. Uh, it's also been covered by a couple of my colleagues as well, uh, Davide Mastracci, who you're going to hear from, uh, what well, you're going to hear from his writing in this uh, podcast episode. So the idea is to kind of give a summary of uh, what happened, where things are at now, what we know, and Canada's response, and then the critiques of Canada's response to this killing. Uh, It's a really brazen uh, and frankly quite horrifying incident that happened back in May. And uh, a lot of people, including myself, see Canada's response as being uh, wholly inadequate and wholly inconsistent with its purported stance towards defending journalism, defending freedom of speech, uh, defending freedom of the press, and so forth. So the way this is going to be structured, I'm going to start by reading out a piece that I wrote for Passage uh, back in late July, uh, which kind of gives a recap of the reporting that I'd done on this story uh, up to that point. Uh, And then I'll refer to another story uh, published in The Maple, uh, where I'm the managing editor, Uh, about a new investigation that came out in September, which proved beyond doubt, basically, that the Israeli uh, military not only killed Shireen Abu Akhla, but did so intentionally uh, with the express intention to kill, uh, despite her press vest being in full view. And then finally, I'm going to reference a piece uh, published by Davide Mastracci at Passage, my colleague, which uh, basically documents the responses of Canadian MPs to this killing in the immediate aftermath and when prompted for uh, comments on on the killing in in recent days this month. Uh, So it's basically drawing on three separate articles, two from Passage, one from the Maple. The piece I'm referring to, the, the first piece I'm going to read from Passage draws on a lot of original reporting that I had done in the maple uh, so it's kind of like stitching all that together and then the the, the next two articles after that are kind of updates that followed uh, what we knew up to that point so it's going to be a little different um I, as i've mentioned before when i've done these kind of readout episodes uh, i know a lot of uh, north untapped listeners are not necessarily readers or subscribers of the maple uh, and I hope that by reading out uh, some of this reporting that I've done uh, in the Maple and with my colleague uh, and friend at Passage, Passage is basically a sister publication of the Maple. We we hope that you'll kind of you know be inspired to maybe go and check out some of our written work. Uh, you can become a subscriber at Passage by going to the Passage website and clicking the button Become a Member, and you can also do so at ReadTheMaple.com and clicking Subscribe. Uh, supporting both of us uh, would be uh, greatly appreciated. Obviously, this is the kind of uh, work we can do thanks to uh, our 100% reader-funded uh, revenue model, which means we don't rely on corporate ads, we don't rely on third-party donors or anything like that. So without further ado, I'm going to get into these uh, articles. So this is the first article. Uh, it's titled, Will Canada Ever Blame Israel for Killing Shireen Abu Akleh? This was published in Passage on July 28th this year. Uh, And so, as I mentioned, this is based on uh, some of the original reporting that I'd done in the Maple up to that point. It has been several months since Israeli forces shot and killed Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akleh. 
Despite Al Jazeera condemning the killing as a deliberate assassination on the day it happened, and an ever-growing list of investigations confirming Israel's responsibility since, Canada has doggedly refused to critique the apartheid state or support calls for an independent probe into the event. Investigations by the New York Times, CNN and the Washington Post, not to mention literally dozens of other uh, organizations and news outlets, have all shown that the bullet that killed Abu Akhla on May 11th was fired from a position held by Israeli forces in Jenin, where the Al Jazeera correspondent was covering a military raid. In June, the United Nations arrived at a similar conclusion and further debunked the Israeli government's lie that Palestinian gunfire may have caused her death, stating, quote, We have found no information suggesting that there was activity by armed Palestinians in the immediate vicinity of the journalists. Uh, just a side note here, it's referring to journalists plural because while Abu Akhla was tragically killed, she was the only journalist that was killed. She was also there with uh, two of her colleagues who were also shot at, one of whom was injured but uh, later recovered in hospital. In July, even the US State Department admitted, after examining the bullet that killed Abu Akhla, that the Israeli military was, quote, likely responsible for the death. The evidence of Israel's responsibility is overwhelming, and I should note at this point it's actually conclusive, since after this story was published, even the Israeli military themselves, after conducting what they called an investigation, uh, they, they admitted themselves that they were likely responsible. Uh, but as we'll find out later, the, the question that they disputed was whether this was deliberate or not, and a subsequent investigation released in September proved beyond doubt that it was intentional. So, end of the side note. But the Canadian government has refused to take any action beyond issuing token statements that even failed to name Israel as the perpetrator, and excluded specific calls in the days following her death for an independent investigation to be conducted by an international body. In May, the Palestinian Authority asked the International Criminal Court to add the killing of Abu Akhla to their ongoing investigation of Israeli war crimes. At the time, I contacted Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie, asking if Canada would support or at least provide comment on the request. Jolie's office told me that the minister had, quote, no further comment beyond her initial statements following Abu Akhla's death, which failed to condemn Israel or call for an independent investigation. Canada in the past has opposed Palestine's right to bring cases before the ICC on the basis that it, quote, does not recognize a Palestinian state and therefore does not recognize its accession to the international treaties. Documents I obtained through access to information requests shed even more light on Canada's embarrassing response to the killing. In the immediate aftermath, senior Global Affairs Canada staff received a flash report from Canada's diplomatic mission in Ramallah. The report pointed out that Israel not only has a long track record of attacking journalists, but also of failing to properly investigate its own armed forces when they do so. The report noted, quote, there have been several instances of Palestinian journalists being injured while covering protests or Israeli operations in the West Bank, Gaza and East Jerusalem in recent years. It cited the fact that an Al Jazeera reporter's hand was broken when she was detained by Israeli police in Sheikh Jarrah in June 2021 and that an Associated Press camera operator was shot in the ankle while covering protests in Gaza in 2018. Like Abu Akhla when the Israeli forces shot her, the injured journalist cited in the diplomatic officer's report, quote, 
were clearly identified as press at the time of the incidents. According to the organization Reporters Without Borders, at least 144 Palestinian journalists have been hit by live ammunition, rubber bullets, stun grenades and tear gas fired by Israeli forces since the Great March of Return protests began in 2018. The next day, GAC, Global Affairs Canada, staff received a security report from the Canadian embassy in Tel Aviv which pointed out that Israel's claim that a Palestinian shooter may have been responsible for Abu Akhla's death had been, quote, largely debunked. Despite these warnings from Canadian diplomatic staff and clear knowledge that Israel's initial story about how Abu Akhla died was a lie, Canada has to this day refused to issue even a nominal condemnation. It gets worse. In the immediate aftermath of Abu Akhla's death, Canadian officials waited to see what their counterparts in the United States and United Kingdom said before issuing their own token statements. The May 11th report from Canada's representative in Ramallah stated that Canadian diplomatic offices in Israel and Palestine had published tweets expressing shock at the killing, quote, in line with like-minded referring to tweets from the UK and US representatives. Approximately one hour after these tweets were posted, the Canadian office issued a similar statement parroting them, stating that they were, quote, shocked and saddened by Abu Akhla's death and calling for a, quote, thorough and transparent investigation, but not an independent one. Even more disgracefully, Canadian officials also closely monitored responses from Allied representatives before commenting on the Israeli security forces' barbaric assault on mourners carrying Abu Akhla's funeral casket. Senior Global Affairs Canada staff reviewed drafts of the proposed statements by Lisa Stadelbauer and Robin Wettlaufer, Canada's lead diplomats in Israel and Palestine respectively, at the time I should just note here that Robin Wettlaufer has since been replaced, alongside, quote, like-minded reactions from Dutch, French, Swedish and European Union officials, some of whom had issued condemnations. After Global Affairs Canada staff reviewed the statements, the Canadian diplomats were given the green light to publicly condemn the attack. Anyone with a shred of moral integrity wouldn't have waited to see what allied countries said about such an appalling assault before speaking out. Jolie also took four days to comment on the funeral attack and avoided direct condemnation of the perpetrators. Well, Canada's cowardly response to Israel's killing of Abu Akhla is an embarrassing disgrace. It's not surprising. The Israeli apartheid regime regularly commits abuses against Palestinians with impunity. And, despite occasionally expressing, quote, grave concerns over violence in the region, Canada continues to export military goods to Israel. Meanwhile, expansions to the Canada-Israel Free Trade Agreement over the past few years have effectively provided subsidies to Israeli producers based in illegal settlements. And in case anyone thought Canada's business-as-usual approach to dealing with the apartheid state may be in doubt after such a brazen killing of a globally respected journalist, Canadian ministers led trade missions at the Farnborough War Show in the UK back in July, actively promoting companies that arm Israel and other murderous regimes such as Saudi Arabia. When I asked Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry François-Philippe Champagne at the show if he was concerned about boosting trade with these states, he claimed that protecting human rights is a top priority for the Trudeau government. When pressed further about the fact that both Israel and Saudi Arabia have killed journalists in recent years, Champagne ended the interview. The message Canada sends through such trade missions and its ongoing refusal to condemn Israel for killing Abu Akhla is that journalists' lives don't matter if they challenge regimes that serve Canada's geopolitical and trade interests, or more broadly, the broader interests of alliances led by the US. Back in July, when this article was first published, Abu Akhla's family met with US Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Abu Akhla was an American citizen, 
to renew their demands for an independent investigation into Israel's actions and accountability. And it's a safe bet, uh, it was a safe bet then and it's proven true now, that Canada will continue to silently watch how this demand for justice unfolded from the sidelines, not daring to pressure the US to act. Uh, so, as I said, this article was published in July. Since then, there have been new developments. So just to recap, what we knew at this time was basically that there was pretty much conclusive proof from myriad independent news publications, human rights groups, international bodies, and so forth, showing that the shot was fired or the shots were fired from an IDF or an Israeli military-held position. Uh, what came out in September, however, was a forensic investigation which proved that the killing was intentional, that they could clearly see Abu Akhla's press vest and that the sniper shot at her anyway with an intention to kill. Uh, so that's what I'm going to read next. So this is titled, New Investigation Shows Israeli Shooter Deliberately Killed Journalist Shireen Abu Akhla. And this was first published on September 22nd. A new forensic investigation reveals that the Israeli shooter who killed Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akhla in May could clearly see the Al Jazeera correspondent's press vest and that the shooter deliberately targeted Abu Akhla and another journalist with the intention to kill despite a lack of any hostile fire in the area. The investigation, titled Shireen Abu Akhla, The Extrajudicial Killing of a Journalist, was conducted by the Palestinian human rights group Al-Haq and the University of London's Forensic Architecture Research Group. It compiled previously unseen footage of the killing and used, quote, advanced spatial and audio analysis to reveal conclusive evidence about how the veteran journalist died. Omar Fawati, a researcher with forensic architecture who co-led the investigation, told the Maple that the findings differ from journalistic accounts of what happened in that they are based on a meticulous forensic methodology and are admissible as evidence in national and international courts. Quote, We've done the first spatial reconstruction and analysis of this incident, he explained. That ability gives you a chance to position and analyse exactly where people and things were during that incident. The investigation concluded that Abu Akhla was deliberately shot from approximately 200 metres away by a shooter who fired through a shooting hole in an Israeli armoured vehicle, along with Abu Akhla's colleague Ali al-Salmoudi, who was injured by the Israeli gunfire. Both journalists were wearing clearly marked press vests, which were in full view of the shooter. Footage documented by the investigation shows Abu Akhla crouching, still alive, following an initial burst of Israeli gunfire. Following a second round of shots, calls for help can be heard, and footage shows Abu Akhla lying on the ground. Using multiple pieces of footage, the investigation reconstructed the positions of the journalists at the time of the killing, as well as the position of the nearby Israeli shooter, who was located in a military vehicle parked sideways further up the street. According to the investigation, Israeli marksmen typically use mounted scopes on M4 assault rifles that magnify their vision four times. The investigation reconstructed how Abu Akhla and the other journalists would have appeared through the scope from 190 metres away, revealing that she and the other journalists' press vests were clearly visible to the shooter. Fawati explained that the evidence shows the journalists would have been visible to the shooter for at least 20 seconds as they walked up the street towards the armoured vehicle before the marksman opened fire. The journalist had been standing at the end of the street for three to four minutes and may have also been visible to the shooter during that time. Quote, the shooter decides to fire six shots, and in that time in which they're watching the journalists, there's nothing happening. It's actually pretty much silence, said Fawati, 
who noted that M4 rifles are semi-automatic weapons which require a trigger pull for each shot. After the first burst of six shots, the shooter waited eight seconds, during which the journalist took cover in full view of the shooter. No other shots were fired in the area during that brief interlude. Quote, They see the journalists run away. They see them hide, take cover, explained Fawati. And as they were doing that, the shooter decided at that point to fire seven more shots. And one of those shots, Shireen was hit and killed. That's not a reflex. That's not crossfire. That's a very clear intention. The reconstruction was verified by placing a camera with a telephoto lens at the marksman's precise location. The journalists were clearly identifiable as such, the investigation concluded. The investigation also tracked the impact locations of the bullets that were fired from the Israeli position. The proximity of the shots confirms a professional marksman repeatedly and explicitly targeted the journalists, the investigation concluded. The distance between the shots reflects careful and precise aim by the shooter. Even more disturbingly, the investigation continued, quote, all shots were aimed above the shoulders and intended to kill. Footage also showed that there were no individuals between the journalists and the marksmen, nor any armed fighters near the journalists. Sound analysis of the video capturing the incident confirms that the only shot fired in the three minutes preceding the shooting of Shireen came from the Israeli Occupation Forces position, the investigation concluded. No shots fired came from the vicinity of the journalists and there was no evidence of crossfire in the area. The shots that we hear are all consistent, meaning they all came from the same position, explained Fawati. The findings fly in the face of the Israeli military's own investigation into the killing, published back in September, which suggested that there was a, quote, high possibility that Israeli army fire, quote, accidentally hit Abu Akhla. The Israeli military said it would not launch a criminal investigation into the killing, drawing condemnation from human rights groups and Abu Akhla's family. Fawati said that while the Israelis might admit that it was probably one of their own troops who shot Abu Akhla, the new investigation shows it was a targeted killing rather than an accident. As for Israel's own investigation, Fawati said, quote, We don't see any evidence of an actual investigation. How can you not identify a journalist when there's no other shots around and you're sitting there in a protected vehicle? We don't see any other conceivable account, he explained. The new findings came days after Canada co-signed a Media Freedom Coalition statement that condemned the killing of Abu Akhla but did not name Israel as the culprit, despite investigations by human rights organisations, news outlets, the United States government and the United Nations over the past five months pointing to Israel's responsibility. The MFC statement reads, quote, Following the death of veteran Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akhla, the undersigned members of the Media Freedom Coalition continue to strongly condemn her killing in the West Bank and to call for accountability. As previously reported by the Maple, Canadian officials were informed by Canadian diplomats the day after Abu Akhla was killed that Israel's initial version of events about how she died had been, quote, largely debunked and received warnings about Israel's poor track record of properly investigating when its forces harmed journalists. Canada has not condemned Israel for the killing and has not supported calls to bring the case before the International Criminal Court. At the time this article was uh, published, the Associated Press reported, quote, A coalition of lawyers and advocacy groups said it has referred the fatal shooting of Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akhla to the International Criminal Court on behalf of her family, calling on prosecutors to investigate what it described as Israel's deliberate targeting of the veteran reporter. Quote, 
We are here to support in our work, in this case, the Palestinian organisations at the ICC and Shireen's family as they seek and demand accountability and justice, said Fawati. Uh, So that's where we're at now in terms of the international dealings with this. So just today, uh, at the time of this recording, my colleague uh, Davide Mastracci, who's the managing editor of Passage, who does really superb work examining uh, the influence of Israeli pressure groups and lobbyists on influencing Canadian policymakers, basically contacted uh, Canadian MPs to ask for their response on this. Uh, So that's what I'm going to read next. Uh, Some of the information is going to be repeated, so I'll try and gloss over the the context that I've already gone over in the previous two articles. Uh, But this is the the latest uh, in terms of holding Canadian officials accountable for a response to the killing of Shireen Abu Akhla. So again, this was written by Davide Mastracci, the managing editor of Passage. Just a reminder, you can support Passage by going to readpassage.com and clicking become a member. This article is titled, I asked MPs why they've ignored reports on Shireen Abu Akhla's killing. So just to recap, so as, as the article recaps at the beginning here, so on May 11th, an Israeli sniper intentionally shot and killed Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akhla, who was wearing a visible press vest. That day, those who witnessed the killing firsthand, as well as Al Jazeera, the company Abu Akhla was working for, made the claims in the prior sentence. However, their word wasn't good enough, and the members of Parliament in Canada that did tweet about the killing almost all refused to name the perpetrator, instead calling for an investigation into the matter. I, Davide Mastracci, conducted a Twitter search and found that 17 members of Parliament did exactly this in the days and weeks following the killing of Abu Akhla. In the nearly five months since then, investigations into the killing have been conducted by Betzalem, Bellingcat, the Associated Press, CNN, the Palestinian Authority, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the United Nations, the United States, Israel, and Forensic Architecture and Al-Haq. All of these reports found that Israel is, at the very least, highly likely to be responsible for killing Abu Akhla, and many directly stated that the killing was deliberate. And yet, despite this, zero of the MPs mentioned above issued follow-up tweets on the matter. As such, I decided to reach out to all of them and ask them why that's the case, if they spoke about the matter anywhere else, and if they have comments on the issue now. None of them replied. Several of these MPs noted in their initial statements that whoever was responsible for killing Abu Akhla should be held responsible. Israel's report into the killing admits that there is a high possibility they killed Abu Akhla and that they've met with the sniper who did it. Yet they've noted that, quote, there is no suspicion of criminal offence that justifies the opening of a military police investigation. In fact, they added that they're, quote, very proud of the conduct of our soldiers who supposedly were briefed and acted according to procedure. In short, they know who did it, they won't punish them, and they're actually proud of them. Still, none of the MPs who called for the responsible party to be punished have said anything since they were explicitly informed that no such thing happened. Of course, their silence on the matter reflects the Canadian government's official position. As Alex Koch, me, wrote at the Maple, quote, Canada has not condemned Israel for the killing and has not supported calls to bring the case before the International Criminal Court. In August, the NDP supported referring the killing to the ICC, but failed to name Israel as the party responsible for the killing. The Conservative Party, meanwhile, blocked unanimous consent for a motion put forward by NDP MP Alexandre Boris to, quote, condemn the killing of Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akhla, call for an independent inquiry into her death in order to ensure that those responsible are held accountable for their actions, and reaffirm that targeting journalists is a war crime. 
Moreover, none of the MPs on my list belong to the Conservative Party. The idea of waiting for an independent investigation before moving forward to take concrete action isn't a bad one in theory. Yet in practice, it has effectively acted as a replacement our MPs can use for, quote, thoughts and prayers. It's a way to express concern without making any commitment to help. This is because by hinging their actions on a future, possibly non-existent investigation, they can avoid doing anything. Either no investigation happens, or if it does, they can portray it as not being sufficient enough to warrant action. So, no steps are taken, and the hope is that constituents will forget and move on. But we shouldn't move on. It's a disgrace that one of Canada's closest allies can kill a journalist in cold blood and escape even symbolic condemnation for doing so, all the while our government preaches about the importance of protecting reporters and press freedom. And there's an update to this article. It reads, After this article was published, Ikra Khalid responded with the following statement, quote, I am aware of these investigations and their conclusions. As you know, I delivered a speech in the House of Commons shortly after Shireen Abu Akhla was killed to mourn her death, recognize her incredible legacy of work, and support calls for an independent investigation. In the months since, I have continued to engage with residents in the Mississauga Erin Mills riding who are concerned about this issue. As a Member of Parliament, I am honoured to work with so many diverse communities in our riding and bring their perspectives to the Government of Canada. Okay, and that's the end of the article. So obviously, what we're seeing here then, so there were, there were several MPs who, uh, you know, quite rightly condemned the killing uh, in various degrees. Some supported, you know, thorough investigations. Some explicitly supported independent investigations, which was the kind of thing being called for by advocacy groups like Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East, who've been really pushing this issue very hard over the past few months. Uh, but I think Davide makes a really key point here is that by kind of making this statement early on, they've allowed themselves off the hook, essentially, to to pursuing or pushing for any concrete action. Uh, so that's what we're seeing from parliamentarians. And then, of course, we see the government literally uh, asking for no accountability whatsoever, pushing for no independent investigation and essentially parroting the lines from their international allies so that nothing actually gets done to address this criminal act. Uh, worth noting as well, um, you know, it might seem obvious, obviously, killing a journalist is a war crime. Uh, just to affirm that that is indeed the case. Journalists are essentially protected as civilians under international law is, is my understanding of it. So obviously, uh, intentionally targeting a journalist is is a war crime. Um, so those are three pieces. I'll add links to all of them in the episode description. Obviously, there's lots of reporting on this issue. Uh, but these three pieces uh, obviously focus on Canada and Canada's response specifically to the killing of Shireen Abu Akhla. But I really encourage everyone to, to go out and, and read the huge amount of work that's been done on this all over the world. Uh, excellent work by Al Jazeera. Any major news publication really has, has done some coverage of this. So I would really just encourage everyone to, to go out and uh, make sure they're informed about this and to uh, demand better from our representatives, whether it's your MP who's, uh, you know, deferred action by calling for vague notions of an investigation early on and not follow it up since and of course from our government which has not condemned israel and has not demanded criminal prosecution of the sniper who murdered shireen abu akla thanks for listening